Hello, welcome to True Hoop with me, Gerard Hector and Henry Abbott. How are you, sir? I'm so excited. We're talking to like a a, a legend. Okay, so <laughs> the early days of True Hoop was like the early days of just basketball on the internet, and it was a crazy time. But I felt like we were all kind of this like band of brothers, and like one of the people in that group was Rod Benson. Uh, hi, Rod. How you doing? I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> so Rod was like like making the NBA. He was like on the cusp. Uh, he's like a 6'10", if I'm right, like went to Cal mm-hmm. and was like sniffing around the NBA. But this same, whole time he was writing like like the best blog on the internet of just like crazy shit. Like <laughs> like just like what was really happening. And it was like, I think it was for me, it was kind of like a sports fan's dream of like the account we would get of like what the basketball world is like. But somehow we've never met. Like I think I probably linked to your blog 5,000 times. From well, you worked all over, right? You worked at like Draft Express. Yeah, and you, and you had my boy Colin and Collins write a, a something for you a while oh. back too, and I was like, "Oh dang!" Like I thought we were, I, I thought it. we were boys. I can't get the first <laughs> call up. Like, it's actually funny that you say like Coleman came to my house. He's he's, he's at dinner really? with my kids. Like yeah, yeah. Come on over, Rod. You got Coleman. He actually me. lives uh, down the street. I don't want to be behind. So I guess that all everything's full circle. Small world. It's crazy yeah. that you say it was like I because. People are listening to this and they're thinking, this guy wrote something absolutely bananas. And I'm here to say, no, my like, and my like funny MySpace messages, which were just like, hey, you're a little too ugly to talk to me. Like, this is weird. And then it was like, oh man, we were in a bus for nine hours and everyone had to take, you know, dumps halfway through the, <laughs> it wasn't like, it wasn't crazy. It was just actually what was happening. So I remember a few that I, I was trying to rack my brain. Okay. For some reason, I really remember, like, I'm pretty sure you were in Bismarck and um, playing in what was then called the D-League. And, like, I think you just went to Walmart because that was, like, the most fun thing to do late at night. That was Bill Simmons. (laughs) That was Bill Simmons? What the hell? My brain completed it. We watched the national championship game between, like, Memphis and... uh, Who played in that game? I don't know. The one with uh, Derrick Rose. Kentucky? Yeah, it might have been Kentucky. Like, John Wall and we watched that yeah, in a yeah, bar yeah. in North Dakota. And I didn't contextualize. This guy really like gave up his like he could he he's one of the guys who would be there. Instead, we're at Walmart, yeah. we're at the bar cuz there's nothing. I think he thought there was something even a little to do in North Dakota. And I'm like, "Really? We can go to the Walmart or we can go to the bar. It is winter, sir. There's yeah. not there's nothing else." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my god. And then I remember like um remember the whole NBA got super upset when uh I think the Heat cried when they lost in the finals. Maybe LeBron cried or Dwayne cried. I forget. And and you were like, come on. And everybody was like, not sure if you were allowed to say that they cried or something. But you were like, motherfucker, I cried all the time. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, what is the big deal here? I guess that, yeah, <laughs> the, that was the LeBron like crying meme, right? He's in Miami. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I yeah, want to say yeah. that was like 2012. And at that point, I'd been in Korea for a few years. If you if you watch even Japanese baseball or like any sort of Asian like athletics, they cry after everything. They also give everything, so yeah. it's like kind of expected. So then you turn on the NBA and it's yeah. like, I'm sorry, they cried after the finals, and we're all like, boo! Like it's so nuts to me how we built up like <laughs> that our culture is the culture. And so you've had the experience. Um, Rod of playing all around the world, right? Basketball is literally taking you everywhere, and you've got to experience. It's huge it. in Korea, huge in Korea, right? Is <laughs> so it many, to say you're huge in Korea? Big, big in Japan, <laughs> huge in Korea, whatever the old saying. Was. <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah, huge. Final time in Korea. has Japan. Huge, huge. <laughs> you, got, you got Korea, but you, you you've seen the different cultures and how they react to sports. Um, you know, give us a little bit of the beyond the emotion that that you see some of the differences you you've seen uh, overseas playing that come in stark opposition to. The states. Man, I wouldn't say anything's in stark opposition. I would say everything's in phases. And the more money something gets involved in any league, uh, the more you're going to see that game shift. The NBA has, like, people don't pay attention to how, like, all the companies that have grown along with our economy, like, now they're starting to crash. Uh, <laughs> they all grew kind of, like, really fast. And the NBA, to try and, like, capitalize on that, just relaxed everything I care about in the game of basketball. But then you go to Europe and it's like a lot of those things are still there. But my God, the jersey's still like a wall to wall advertisement. (laughs) They're they're trying to figure out how to monetize this thing so that enough people can eat. And like the smaller the league is, honestly, the purer the basketball, because there's not enough they can add on to it. 
Yeah. Yeah. There's not like big forces. So, okay. After reading you for so long, you have written a book, which is called Different Dude, which is actually a very <laughs> perfect funny title. title. Perfect title. <laughs> like, can you talk about why that title? Yeah. It's, it's just one of those things where I think as a basketball player that you've interviewed a lot of guys, like you said, when we were off camera and like, you kind of get similar answers because people are kind of programmed to see something and be like, we all agree. I like, Probably 30 times in my career, everyone agreed, like, he's a different dude. Like, we we all want to go left. And he's talking about right. And I'm like, but guys, right? the first time I heard it, I think I was, um, we had these things called TAM meetings, team awareness meeting meetings. Does it make sense? Uh, but they were, uh, Wait a minute. <laughs> they're bringing some former NBA guy to, like, talk to the D-leaguers about, like, nutrition or money or whatever. And, and one of the early ones, it was us and another team. The guy gave this big, great story. And he's like, who here knows what they want to do after basketball? I, like everybody else, did not raise my hand because I was 22. Like, I don't know. But everybody looked at me. So then he looked at me and he's like, what? Why are you guys looking at him? And someone's like, eh, he's a different dude, man. He already figured out his whole life, man. He could probably build a rocket ship right now. Can't launch it. I'm like, what, what I, I don't even know this guy. We've never played. <laughs> He built the rocket guy, got his own rocket ship. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I want to feel really bad for you, Rod, like you got singled out there. But um, can you just tell us the little story of when people tried to steal your backpack? And uh, what did you ask for? <laughs> you want to talk it from your book? Uh, you just highlighted something. This might be the kind of thing. That's a tragic story that I'm like, it's also just laughable. Like, but, I, you know, I had this it's TI-83 amazing. plus calculator. Yes, everyone life. knows that from math. And they had yeah. games yeah. on it that the, you know everyone had, and one was Drug Wars. And I thought that this was like the bee's knees. I was like, whoever did this has really tapped into something with me, <laughs> and I wanted to make my own. How old are you at this point? You're how old? I got to be like 16. Okay. So I make my own, but it basically means I'm on this thing all the time. So when yeah. you know that, that day, I not only hurt my like thumb or something playing in a game, I was still on the calculator when everyone else went out to eat. And when they went out, came back with those burgers, <laughs> those delicious burgers, I was like, I got to go. <laughs> so I'm coming back and, and, you know, three dudes jump out of the bushes, like literally just like exactly what you expect to look at. Like, like <laughs> almost like the movies where it's like, oh, this is lazy writing. It was, they were lazy writers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> lazy writing. <laughs> <And> they, <laughs> like literally like, give me the backpack. Like so lazy. Uh, Looking back, like they could have had a little bit more imagination. Like, hey, the backpack, we'll take yeah. it. Like, give me the backpack. Uh, <laughs> but where it takes a funny yeah. turn for real is that I, I thought my calculator was in the backpack. So while they're going through it, I'm like, do I ask him for it or not? I'm like, can, can I get my calculator, please? I, I need it for school. <laughs> and they just let me go through my backpack to like find this calculator, which also was not in there. It's weird being like scared for your life and embarrassed at the same time. Like, mm, oops. Yeah. <laughs> all right, we can all you win, I win. <laughs> we all went our separate direction. You love that calculator, though. I mean, you love that calculator. That's what I take. And it wasn't lost. It was still in the hotel room. So we lost. kept on, we kept on playing. Well, and so then they took your backpack back. You like you like, completed the no, no. Back they they kept the like, backpack. Once it was calculator was not in there. Yeah. We both decided this has gone on long enough. <laughs> Just can't get better as it you goes. You guys on. all, everybody respected math in that story. Ti 83s were expensive, man. Somebody stole that from you. It's a real problem. You got to go tell your mom. I need another whatever it costs, hundred dollars. But she's like, man, we were the broke black family. Like, I don't know how I procured this calculator. I damn sure couldn't let it go. We, my mom didn't buy me this calculator. I might have stolen it. I don't know. Like, I needed the calculator. And it can't get stolen again. <laughs> Cannot. No. 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 Uh, oh, Rod. The, oh my God. Sophomore year at Cal. Okay. So you just decided one day I'm gonna slap the shit out of a teammate. Like <laughs> I'm like this guy, like you watch the Chappelle show, he wakes up one morning, you know what? I'm gonna go to practice, I'm gonna slap and wait. And the thing that makes it so crazy, you're late to whatever's going on in the team facility. People are quiet <laughs> having a meeting. You tap a teammate's shoulder to say, Hey, he turns around, what's going on? Whack! <laughs> and another fight ensues. My man, what was going through your mind? It was immediately dumb. So, but there's a reason I led with that story, like in the book. Right? I mean, it's not the most out there story. It's just very out there. No, but it's because like that's. I don't think people get that's how kind of dumb you have to be to be a professional athlete at certain points. 
I was like, just I was so go on. like whatever <laughs> rational that I couldn't be good at basketball. And I think a lot of the guys you see are the best. Oh, you got that dog in. I'm like, that's irrational. I don't want to have that dog in me while I'm at Chili's. I don't want to have that dog in me while I'm on the platform for the L train. It only applies in one space. So only like kind of weirdos develop it. I was showing you like, I, I mean, uh, if other guys would tell their truths, I bet they all have something similar, like something where like it doesn't make sense. Like the other person would just take it as bullying or like, what the hell? Like, but no, someone told me I got to find that dog in me. And now, <laughs> and for me, it was just, it's such a low bar thing to do. Like a, like a hard slap. Like, it's a full wind up. I think you're a man now. Yeah. <laughs> but that unlocked you. You started to play incredible ball after that slap. Like this weird thing where these, the, at the field, the arena of athletics, it rewards to your, to your, your point, this irrational, ridiculous behavior that unlocks something in you. Talk more about that. Man, I'll say this. If you believe for a second Draymond Green hasn't slapped like his like little sister, not his sister, that's too far, but like his brother or something like, because you see it on the court. That's when he's when he in punched his- punched a teammate in the yeah, face. That was just on camera. You think he had punched Jordan Poole in the face before? These things, <laughs> come on, man. Like, in, in, especially in training camp where everyone's watching practice. It's when you get like mid-season where no one really is paying attention. They all know what's going on. All I can say is this. Even with that slap, and I was known as like a kind of a more wild player throughout my, especially in Korea. Uh, I was never the crazy one. Like, not even close. In fact, the reason I lasted so long, especially when I went overseas where the cultural expectations were different, is because I was not the crazy one. You know how many guys have been kicked out of Korea? Like, bruh, Ivan Johnson. Do you know who Ivan Johnson is? Uh, yeah. He's like, I think he's the only guy to punch a ref in the face out there during a wow. game. Like, during a game. Like, the footage is online. Well, it looks like, on. it looks getting... like bullying. Like, plus, that was not a charge, damn it. <laughs> but it's because, like, it's actually crazy when the culture shifts and you have this dog in me mentality. It almost only exclusively yeah. works as, like, making it to the NBA. Once you go, like, they, they used to say in the D League, like, man, overseas ain't for everybody. No, you're going to overseas. Like, because you can't take that everywhere. You're going to have to actually learn basketball to some certain point and like use both. And a lot of dudes like don't have that. Don't want to have it. Well, I, okay. Like I, when I read that book, uh, thinking fast and slow, have I you read not. that. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay. So it's probably here somewhere. Um, this guy, Daniel Kahneman won the Nobel prize for this like brain research. And basically like most of our feelings are like either super quick, like instantaneous, very useful in basketball or they're rational and slower, right? Or now it's like, what's the optimal kind of car for me to buy, right? Like you, you, we kind of have two systems, right? And it, it seems like as someone who played very low level, very, I mean, like like very low level basketball, um, like I, it was clear to me that I was like too thoughtful, <laughs> you know, like, like, like my forte was not the boom, you know, just like, like the ball's here, he's going there, you know, like, like I could beat my guy and get in the paint. And then it was like, a lot happened, you know, like other players could like read it way faster, right? That was like more emotional. And I'm thinking they were also more likely to deck a ref, right? Well, it just like, depends on how you're raised are, and what you've been conditioned to already. Yeah. Um, I mean, I wanted to deck a ref. The, <laughs> the best players really just do both. They are both at once. And everyone else has some yes. level of degradation there or like athletic degradation. But yeah. now I went to Torrey Pines High School. It's as, it's as white as white can be. And we ran a Princeton mm, yeah. system, which in high school beats everybody. It just beats everybody. Yeah. If you can figure out how to do that, but none of those guys could play past that because they are locked into rules. They're rigid. And frankly, yeah. what makes basketball beautiful is the mix of the rigidity and the fluidity. And yeah. some people just can't like jazz. do it. And I like, that's what I'm saying. To, to learn that fluidity, I had to slap, I had to do something so irrational. It's funny, but everyone has done something like that. And they maybe they just forget because they were six years old. But you're not born with whatever I have in my brain now that can do that. Have you ever coached? No. If you did, would you advise? <laughs> How would you advise on this slap matter? The shit out of it. <laughs> I think that I was. The reason why I even said, like, you might be six years old, you might not know, you might, like, there's so many ways to learn anything. I think that there's general ways to learn that same lesson. I had a podcast a couple of years ago with Terry Porter. 
We were talking about um, oh, he was my favorite player growing up, Portland legend, <laughs> literally my favorite player. Growing he up. came on my podcast because my friends, like, I don't know, they're like family friends or something. So we're talking about, you know, I asked him if he thought the way Jordan. Oh, it was around the last dance time. If Jordan was, uh, you know, it was necessary for him to do all that stuff. I think the last dance was super favorable. Like he was actually more of a monster. And Terry, Terry Porter's like, yeah, you need that. You need that to get. And I think if you're born like before 1970, you probably really believe that. But what I told him is I was, I was like, look, in the last 30 years, there's been basically five champions. The like Jordan Bulls with a couple like random outliers, the uh, Tim Duncan Pistons, the Kobe Lakers, the um, whatever team LeBron's been on and the Golden State Warriors. This was like a couple of years ago. And I was like, three of those teams win without a complete dickhead running the show. It's actually not impossible. You just believe because you've seen it work that it is. But you don't have to yell. You don't have to do all that. You don't have to slap someone to learn this lesson. You just need someone who understands the lesson well enough in themselves to teach it to somebody else. Yeah. And like our, our other member of this band who's not here, David Thorpe, like he's always saying like leadership is breathing spirit into others. Right. And so like in a manner, Jordan did that, but he definitely could have done that part way better, right? Like, like Horace Grant didn't dig it. You know what I mean? Like, like Scotty Pippen's still mad about it, right? Like, I just feel like there's like a, like, there's a lot of aspects of leadership. Also, when they aren't everyone, we are really this close in like talent. Like the 800th player in the world is like to the 20. Like, there's like 30 guys that really separate themselves, but everyone else is so close. You always think like, I'm better than this guy. Like I, and. I think that when you when you're on a team where like clearly one guy's being exalted as like he if it's not for him we're nothing. And that guy uses that <laughs> to accrue like 10x the wealth of everyone else to put down everyone else to make sure no one else can grow. Now we're just There's talking a lot of people born in the seventies. Like, it's just <laughs> I don't know Walmart, <laughs> Citibank, <laughs> corporate real estate. <laughs> Cat Williams interview like nothing is that different. It's just that's what they learned. This ruthlessness that does not is not necessary yeah. anymore. Yeah, and it's not the most effective way, right? It's one way, right? But like you know, that's not how Steph Curry works. You know, he's doing well. But uh, but I would argue, right? For in in the warrior sense, they run a balance of both, right? Because while Steph is the leader, that other part is Draymond, right? And that part is so necessary, right, for them to be good, right? So it's a balance of like. Right, the 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 the, temp, the 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 joy that that Steph breathes, right? But we also need this dog on the other side here too, right? And we're kind of, and maybe the imbalance is what causes them issues sometimes, right? When things implode, like last year and what have you. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that every team has a mix of guys, and you're gonna have the the dude to you know pressure. But we're talking about the true leaders, and if anything, I would say that, yeah, unpopular opinion. Draymond acting out like that is a is is an indictment on Steph's leadership. Now, that the lessons and the and the fire that Draymond brings are important for the young players to learn, sure. But the, the big leader, the good leader, you know, these are painful lessons <laughs> that Draymond is going to teach somebody. Literally. Like, like physically, <laughs> mentally, emotionally. So the big leader contextualizes those lessons and says, like, oh, I know that sucks, but, you know, like, he did that to me too. And now we're like, remember that, like, you know, we played the Pistons and the like, and ties it all together. And if you're not getting that, you get the, the, the constant pulling. It's a really difficult balance, especially after years. Is why you don't see dynasties. Like people put up with stuff as long as it's working. And when it starts to break because it was never designed to last forever, you see the all the pulling. Well, there's just like like a, a very high level athlete at their best is feeling very free, right? And like I actually, I never watch football almost ever, but for family reasons, I did watch the Ravens this weekend and Zay Flowers was like the entire offense. I don't know if any of you watched this game, but like, um, he's just, I mean, I think I, there was a moment where they put a little graphic on the screen that like Zay Flowers had like, I'm going to make it up like 111 yards of offense and the whole rest of the combined had 37 mm. <laughs> It was something like this. And, and then he catches an incredible, you know, he's just this little dude weaving through everybody. And then he gets tackled short of the, of the touchdown i don't even know if i barely come up with the word because i know it's a little level and then he freaking like shoves the guy to the ground and spins the ball and he's just kind of like yeah motherfucker like whatever he said right and then he got a penalty <laughs> and like everybody where i was was like oh you know what a dumb shit but i'm like part of me is like 
he's the whole fucking show, right? <laughs> like, like no one else is doing, he's getting such an A on the test and he just got like two points off his like massive A plus, right? So on the one hand, I totally feel like Zay's running free and when you're free, you might have a little bit of this, right? Mm-hmm. But I also feel like, you know, he's a rookie. I think he's a rookie. Um, Like, of course he can complete that pass and make that run without also getting the penalty, right? It's <laughs> totally doable, right? Like he can just dial it back a, a micron, I would imagine, you know, I, it's possible. I, I really like your point. I sometimes think people like don't ask the right questions. Like, why is it a penalty in the first place? It's such a natural, right. I'm yeah. sure you've asked that question, but it's like, Oh, that's racism it, for it's, sure. It's not just racism. Yeah. Racism is, is to me, sits on top of economics. Like racism is a made up thing, right? It's like a three year, 300 year old thing in America, but or 500, whatever it is, but it's not, it doesn't exist the same in other places. I've been called the N word in Korea. Was it racist? Did that person not know what they were doing and thinking they were talking to me like a rapper? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think that like, you're right. There's, 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 you know, if you're going to tell someone that they have to achieve something, the sports is like the ultimate like pin needle of like, to me, capitalism, like, like show us my entire life in three seconds. That time I had to talk to my boss or I had to fight that bit, you know, whatever. I don't know. Like me and my girlfriend got into it. And I had to overcome. Like, so if you tell someone like to keep hitting the tip of achievement all the time, that gets boring very fast, <laughs> very, very fast. Cause you're doing it. It's like, when you buy the car you always wanted and then like a month later, you're like, all right, I got it. Like, dang, it's getting dirty. So does scoring a touchdown. So you're going to either have to like re-incentivize these people with something other than money or people who watch the game are going to have to understand that money is an incentive to go somewhere, but it's not an incentive to stay anywhere. <laughs> and these people are going to have to find fun enjoying it some other way. And legislating that out, well, that's someone else. Someone is winning in a bottom line situation if they're doing that. It is nothing. It's not because some guy's just like racist. Take out the dancing. It's like, well, we've done the stats, and a and a salute does three times better in the NFL than a jerk dance. So we're gonna have to. (laughs) (laughs) None of this is an accident. Like, it's not a conspiracy. It's just revisit any history. It's all about the money. (laughs) Well, and there's like a there's just a frailty to sports fans that like I blows my mind. Where, you know, if we go back to Babe Ruth or whatever, like mm-hmm. the real story is all about like, you know, sex and drugs and rock and roll, right? Like the way that he actually did this was like, it would make a really good like, like VH1 behind the music or whatever, mm-hmm. right? But in real time, we just unfortunately served up this like just JV journalism of horse shit over just like fit some Norman Rockwell view of America. And like, and we're still a little bit rocked by that. We're still, still like... Like, actually, this is like, you're, it's, it's all your fault. Like, you're the one who's like, there's sex in sports. And people are like, what? I don't, I don't think so. Like, probably not. Like, people are still really fuzzy about like how many kids Michael Jordan has. You know what I mean? And it's like, 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 what? Like, come on. We're all adults well, here. Like, we're, we can like, we can have a little touch of reality in our sports once in a while. Can't we? You know? I think it's like ties into just what America, like, again, I, I, I firmly believe that it's all tied together, but like, I don't know. Don't you think Vince McMahon would be Vince McMahon? <laughs> Don't you think <laughs> like, right. like Harvey Weinstein would be Harvey Weinstein? Like not that like Michael Jordan's on that level of bad or anything like that. I just mean that when you create these like spaces where someone has infinite like growth and then the ability to like look backwards and say, I'm the best at it, it creates monsters. Yeah. Like, and the reason people who watch it don't get it is because they don't realize they have the same tendencies and they, they just haven't gotten there. You know, I, 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 I've just seen so many people who like one day are broke, the next day they have money, and they're doing all the same things they said they wouldn't do because it has nothing to do with those things being good or bad. It has to do with them. You always need more. And so it's easy to like America sells us like, oh, these guys are perfect so that you can aspire to do it so we can keep going. Right. And you want to be the CEO, don't you? Because that's the boss, man. Look at all these perks. They don't say like, it's also kind of a, not that great life. Like Michael Jordan does not have friends. He, I kick it with Jared Jeffries and he claims they're friends, but uh, their friendships seem to be like golfing and fishing and Michael always wins. And I'm like, does that, it just sounds like you're kicking it around Michael Jordan sometimes. Like, <laughs> that's, that's the contract of being friends with Michael Jordan. He has to win at everything. Always. He wins. Eh, he just wins. Okay, fine. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of sad, really. Very um, sad. So you said, Rod, that you think that the kind, the way you talk the, from the inside of sports uh, hurt your playing career. 
Is that, did I interpret that right? What you said before we started recording? Say that one more time. So like talking openly and freely as you did, like hurt your career? Oh, uh, you definitely. Um, like how so? And please use the words Eric Musselman. <laughs> <laughs> Shots fired. Listen, I, it, it's, it's funny because I did include Eric Musselman's name in the book, but uh, what I didn't say is that he called me like two years later to try to get me to leave Korea to join the Bighorns again. And I was like, bro, you gotta be kidding me. You gotta, you gotta be kidding me. Like, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, it's hard to quantify just how much the talking changed my trajectory. All I can go by is the emails that we got, I included some of them in the book, you know, seven out of hundreds. It's funny, it felt like it inspired you to go back and look at old emails. It's kind of fun to like, Try to just type in my agent's name and look up what people were saying back then. Like, it actually gave me more confidence. Like, dang, I was better than I thought I was. Because I was really like, oh. I had to humble myself um, often when I wouldn't get called up. <laughs> uh, but it was all related to the fact that you can't have someone in a room who doesn't believe in the room. The, mo the more the money is. I mean, there's a reason I brought up Cat Williams. I'm like... I'm kind of in the same boat. I could have just played along and I'd be rich. As soon as like the first like, oh man, this is hurting your career. And I was like, that can't be true because I'm not doing anything weird. If I just listened to that, like I know a lot of people would. Maybe if I'd gone to church more, maybe like if, if I, I'm serious, <laughs> if I'd acted more like a black church man. Yeah. Like there's a formula for uh, this. Yeah. 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 I'd probably be rich. And the reality is everyone who doesn't do those things doesn't make it to that level. I had to earn in Korea since none of those things mattered. There was no cap on my earnings. <laughs> only here is there a cap because it's going to force someone to admit that either they're bad at what they do, they're only doing it because of money, or they literally don't even like it. Like true, like the, the, I don't know about not liking it in this case, but to wrap this up, when I left the D-League, it was 2010. And I remember Ridiculous Upside did this long article, like, it's sad, Rod Benson's finally giving up on this, whatever. And listed all these reasons. And then three years later, the NBA hosted its first ever social media awards. And I was like, the money just needed to be figured out before people who can make it weird for other people got there. They used to say like, oh, one day you're going like to write a tell-all book. Frontier. That's why they can't let you in the room. And I'm like, I don't want to. My book exists because they made me kind of. <laughs> if, they, if people had just been regular, I wouldn't have to tell anything. I'm actually <laughs> telling nothing. Like I've, there are stories I could tell you. Like I've tried to make it so it's not about that. It's just about like, hey, yeah. if you're in this game, this is what it is. It's not, you're not like in control like you think. You're just kind of in this washing machine. Yeah. Cog yeah. in the wheel. Yeah. No, I feel a little bit the same way, right? It's like there's like it's, you know, by and large, the powers that be in sports are like these billionaires, right? And and one of the big reasons they get in the game is to look cooler, right? Like Mark Cuban without the Mavericks is such a right? like, like he's just he's a software salesperson, right? Like he's just like he's not invited to the party unless he's throwing the party, right? But as the owner of the Mavericks, he's kind of cool, right? So okay, that makes sense, but. But like you are a threat and I'm a threat to tell a story that might end up making Mark Cuban not look cool, in which case not only does it hurt his investment a little, it actually upends the whole purpose of his investment. Right. And now it's like, motherfucker, you are not going to come in here and make me look uncool. Like that's the whole project is to make Mark look cool. And like, it's very threatening. I can tell you that there's so story. many, like just the way my life has gone, like very Forrest Gumby. I've gone to like the end of like 10 different industries that the end of all of them is someone who's scared that you're better than them and we'll just shut you down. Mm -hmm. You know, like I was, I, I, I brought up the social media awards cause they can't, they were, they were, um, released, developed and promoted right after the players tribune did the Derek Jeter. I'm retiring, uh, which introduced kind of the world to, Oh, athletes writing. Even though I was like, Derek Jeter definitely didn't write this. Like, as someone who like yeah. is kind of bad at writing, I can tell when good writing doesn't come from one of us. I know what athletes write like. <laughs> You're not better than me, Derek. You're not. <laughs> they should have a writing competition where you and Derek can go head to head. Well, here's the real writing competition like that. that I'm alluding to. 
three years ago, two years ago, three years ago, I'm on the phone with, um, I had three phone interviews with Dra- the Players' Tribune, with the Players' Tribune. And in the third interview, they're like, you know what? We just can't see how you fit in our business model. And I'm like, at this point, I was fully aware that they have all ghostwriters and no athlete has ever written one story. They're the country time lemonade of, of journalism, I guess. But country time. <laughs> I'm like, so, you know, after that, it was over. But I thought about it afterwards. Like, it wasn't that they, their business model couldn't support hiring another writer. It's that when you hire me and I do good, now what if other athletes can actually write and they will do this job better. You can't have that. I need to keep my job. I'm a regular person who likes sports and likes media. And I have to stand between you and this because I need it. So nothing's real. So I have to send emails to people like, oh, can I get on your podcast? Because like people don't like people are scared that I'll say something that makes them look dumb. The Mark Cuban effect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, Rod, you <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, this is this conversation has already been fascinating. It can go in a million different directions, and it already has. Um, you know, you talked about earlier how you were, you know, how people are raised and the different things that helps that helps shape, right, who they are and how they interact. So I'd love to go back there. How important um was your mother, um, your grandmother, I believe you also reference her um in the book, into shaping this version of Rod, who's just so outspoken. Uh, and then I want you to tell the story about how, I think it was your mother told you, don't marry no white girl like Kobe. <laughs> that was my grandmother. I'd actually like your, your opinion on that first. When you read my book, uh, if you finished it or whatever, what impression did you get of my mom and grandmother in the book? They, to me, are, I don't like to use the phrase, typical black mom and grandma, <laughs> because that just, but... They do fit certain tropes that we all know that I'm like, yeah, no, I get it. Makes sense. So nothing was surprising to me. I was like, yeah, okay, this tracks. Yeah. This this is what it is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's, it's funny because writing a book like this, where I had to, you know, there's 120 stories in there. Uh, but anyone who's done editing, you know, what's on the floor. Like I had like 300 stories I had to remember. But when I started, I can remember like 10 and I'm like, you lived a whole life of basketball. Like, right. Like, I was trying not to do uh, something I already blogged about also, so that made it a little more difficult, but I had to teach myself how to remember my own past more accurately, better. Mm. Like, How the hell did you do that? What's up? <laughs> how did you do that? Uh, That's like no small project. Well, first it was just like, okay, like your rookie year, like lock in on that year. What are some stories you remember? And it's like, dang, I only got like three. It's like, okay, what else happened in the year 2007 or whatever? Like look up historical events, look at what movies came out, look at what... Music came out, and then it's like, boom, explosion. And you do that going all the way back. You know, I wrote and finished the book, like, around June 8th. It was, like, done, and then since then, tightening or adding or whatever. I didn't know all that I know now when I was was processing all these memories. And I think that now that it's done and I've, you know, had a lot more conversation, this whole book it looks entirely different to me than when I finished it because I have since found out through all this memorizing, mem- through all these memories and then talking to people like my mom and grandma were exactly what you thought they were. And my dad is actually the hero. I found myself four days ago. You know, my dad is not a deadbeat dad. My mom and grandma just like locked him out of my life. And like this whole book, all those negative things only happened because two people had a vision that a thousand other people didn't have and didn't tell me about it ever. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean? Explain that. Um, I mean, yeah, as no, much no, as you want to. I don't I don't know, like it's, it's, it's cool. I mean, I, I'm, like you said, I've always been an open book. If I'm feeling something, I'm going to say it. <laughs> I do uh, feel that, yeah. Let me be specific here. This will contextualize a lot of the book for you. My mom and grandmother concocted a plan to trap my dad's family with a baby, me, and then immediately filed a bunch of restraining orders. This is like the 80s. So, you know, one in all the family court stuff. My grandma worked in in, uh, in the Child Protective Services or something like that. So, oh, insider, insider basically knowledge. Basically just ran a bunch of scams. <laughs> but 
I was raised, I was moved to San Diego and raised around all these white people. So it was just like confusing. Like, I'm like, oh, I guess we're better. We're also kind of raised anti-black as a result. And all these things led me to push that side of my family away. If you look at how I reference, how I talk about my dad, even in the book, it's not, but I didn't change it. Cause I'm like, this is how I felt at the time when I was seeing it. Come to find out <laughs> literally like two weeks ago, a little less than that. It was all just a story they told me. Wow. Holy crap. <laughs> how'd you find out? Holy crap. Yeah. How'd you find out? Basically, like, when, like I said, I finished the book in June and then it was like tightening. And then it was, uh, when I decided to self-publish, I was basically just on my heels until like December 16th when I finally finished the audiobook. And then it was time to go home for Christmas. And I kind of just realized, you know, people who grew up in loving families know exactly what I'm about to say. And I never paid attention to it once. My book had now been out for about 10 days. Not a single, not my mom, not my brother, not my aunts, not a single person asked about it. And they knew they were aware of its existence. Meanwhile, I've been shutting out that other side of my family as annoying because they always ask me what's going on. Like, I'm like, stop, stop, stop talking to me. Like, you're stalkers. You're weird. They're just sat there. I'm like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's review some of these messages. Like, hey, how are you feeling? Where, where, how's your day? Like, and that, that really was the last, like, oh, damn. The animals. Just have the whole story backwards. <laughs> Wow, that is amazing! What a what? If you don't mind me asking, how old are you? Thirty nine. At thirty nine, you have this like totally different lens on your whole life. That's crazy. And for the last like year and a half, two yeah. years, it's been that way. But this is like I guess the final, the final bit of fear and confusion I had to walk through. But the book exists wow. as gently wow. as it wow. does because of the violence that went into it. That's why I say all the time: Do you understand the violence it took to become this gentle? There are yeah. rough moments that I've learned that like. I had to sit. I said, I wrote a letter to my whole family, like saying what I know now. Like I know, like I remember everything. Uh, walking through that type of fear is different than going to play a basketball game in the Dominican Republic or having someone pull a gun out on you over a calculator. Like I, those things would be the stories that define someone else's whole life, but they're they're only because they're expected to. Like everyone else, like understands that same pain, but like your personal struggle. Yeah. That one that no one else will understand is the is the biggest fear there is. And if you walk through that, if you can walk through that, I don't know, I could talk about it anywhere. I've had to talk about it with the hardest versions of it already. Who cares now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like the thing that you would hide has already been right. unhidden, right? Like it's like, all right, I'll, might as well talk about it. <laughs> so have you, have you started the process of like engaging with that side of the family now? Now when they text, how's it going? You're not like, okay, <laughs> weirdo, stop bothering me. <laughs> me and my dad have had two phone calls in the last week and we have never had a phone call in our lives. Oh my God. <laughs> what is that experience? <laughs> Here's this person, because you, you are both adults, but a person you don't know. And you've had two, I'm assuming, lengthy conversations with this person. What the fuck is that like? It was, like I said, it was after I wrote the letter, so it was all easier. But it's just weird, man. It's weird. Just knowing. It's kind of like, because I guess I'm viewing it from his perspective, right? Any movie you watch where you think like the protagonist is lost and they win like super late, kind of. I'm like, like, it's like, wow, you really? And he was so nice and didn't say one negative thing about my mother or grandmother mm, just yeah, gave me yeah. some history that I was sorely lacking and it was beautiful if anything that's part of the balance like reconnecting with these other family members and then like filling in the gaps if there's one thing yeah. I think different dude does is it kind of tells the story of like someone being in the wind but I never really understood why I was such a windy person why I would be so apt to make these choices and to turn left when everyone else is going right Cause I had like this duality sitting inside of me and that's just starting to like untangle now in this beautiful way. Uh, are you going to meet him in person? Yeah. Yeah, probably. Probably. I mean, I don't think he lives nearby. I mean, I guess we don't get, get to that, but <laughs> I don't think he lives. Nearby. That's conversation number three. <laughs> wow. This might be your, uh, your Hollywood story, right? So. <laughs> like this, the, the Rob Benson story. This is, this is a this movie seems, right here. Yeah. This seems now we're talking about movie for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's not it's, a movie producer. It'd probably be a bad movie. 
unless someone really understood how to make that 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 universal universality um, apply. Oh well, you need the right the right screenplay and director for sure. I mean, yes, yeah, that yeah. that is for, that has to happen, obviously. But someone can tell this story, and it might be you. You, you <laughs> might you might have to you might have to write the screenplay, and then then you know a little bit about this whole the whole process of this. Like you'll write the screenplay, and then after that, it's going to get its you know chopped up and done whatever by the powers that be. But you know, you make it clear. No, no, these are the factual moments that stay in here. Well, let me let me reverse engineer that for you. I think all that could happen, but I think the general consciousness needs to be like ready for it. I do think Cat, Cat Williams started this. This, you know, my thought when I finished the book, I'm like, wow, no one's ever said these things in this way. This could shift if enough sports fans get to it. Shift how even sports are discussed. And then I saw the Cat Williams interview, and I was like, this is the first. This is the first domino because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's the age of authenticity why were we taught to hide who we are it's only allowed for all of these bad systems to be built on top of us if we just start talking about what's actually happening none of this can exist in as poor a fashion as it does let's bring it on man i'm ready for that <laughs> and, and i think <laughs> yeah. henry i don't know how you feel about this i i generally think that sports fans can handle more than what leagues and journalists think they can handle I do. I think. I think you can tell them the truth. Now I, mean, I, yeah, have to, I think, you have to spoon feed them a little, but I think I think you can tell them the truth. All right. So I I think about it in. Uh, well, you guys will be cool with my weird analogy. All right. So let's say like writing is kind of like you know reporting on something that's happening some other place where the reader isn't. Right. So if you have like a really high quality satellite flying over, it sees all these little details. Right. And like so, if you saw Babe Ruth in the satellite, you'd see like stuff that I'm not sure we want to put in the paper. Right. But um. But to me, like, but meanwhile, all of the biggest, best Hollywood successes or all the most read stories in sportsman history have that level of like sometimes tough to swallow, usually packed with struggle detail. Right. So what's the story? Is that do you like it simple or not? I think the answer is you do want all that shit in there, but it's very high degree of difficulty to tell it when you have all that in there, right? Like, like the, the, the poor man's version of whatever your favorite movie is. I know, whatever. I don't, I don't know. Like an Oscar winning movie sucks, <laughs> right? It has to be told like amazingly well. Right. So now it's like pressure on maybe that like Andre Agassi book was one where they like, you know, took the kinds of things we're talking about. And that ghostwriter guy, J.R. Moringer is a genius. Yeah. It's and he like in there. made that super detailed Agassi's kind of emotional outburst life into like, page to page it's fun right like you're you're wrapped up in that right and uh, so yeah i think it's i guess i think i'm uh, 10 million percent all of the sports fans favorite stories have all the stuff like jordan's legitimate kids in those stories right but you have to do it just so you know like you can't just dump it out there right you gotta, so like, i'm gonna say i think you can be a little bit. more liberal with it i watch a lot of like youtube and they're not all great journalists sometimes i just want to know what what's happening uh yeah well i turn my way to them um There was a show on FX, like, well, I forget what it was called, like a, a football show, uh, like 20 years ago. Do you remember that show? It was an NFL show. God, I wish I remember the name of it. It was before Ballers, before all this. And it only... Lo- Playmakers? Wait, Wait, let's it? take you back to that year. What Playmakers. was Playmakers? That was on ESPN. ESPN. Okay, okay, oh, yeah. that, Henry, you know about yeah, that. You know about yeah, Playmakers. Playmakers got canceled. Yeah, because because the but NFL was why? like, get that show off no, the air. No, it, it was killing in the ratings. That means... Uh, yeah, yeah, but it was telling too many close to truths that the NFL didn't want but out there. you have to even consider then how the, how can that even work? How can the NFL get this off? Now, it was on ESPN. At the time, I don't think they were ABC. Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of it. But ESPN, if for the ratings to be that high and still pull it, Someone had to say, you can never cross this. There's a line and you just pushed it. And now we found it. And again, it has nothing to do with the athletes. The NFL, I think, is the biggest perpetrator of this because they have faceless players. So whoever they want to promote will be promoted. If someone can circumvent that, it's bad for them. They don't want that. They want to make it seem like this is the tight military ship. It is, I think, personally, our biggest military recruiting tool. It is our biggest, nice. like, uh, uh, like, foundation of like our capitalism outside of like the credit system. It cannot fall, even though it is falling. Football is actually losing in popularity. People don't even realize all these leagues 
are losing viewership. And it's not just to online because the product is getting worse. Every fourth play, there's someone in the NFL like laying on the ground doing this. And the only way to solve that is to play without helmets and pads. But then people will be like, oh, that's boring. And it's like, okay, well, then it has to die. I mean, someone almost did die. Christ, like, right? That almost yeah, happened. It, they have died year. all the time, just in the college level. And like, it's just yeah. going to keep going up with more cameras, people being faster, people being. But again, it applies to every sport. And again, if you know that guy's whole story when he's doing this, you might never watch again. Do you think his mom can watch again? I don't know. Maybe not. Because they know each other. You can't know those people. You can't. You can know the Shield. You can know the Kansas City Chiefs. And you can know Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey are dating. The, the fact that that's broadcast is not an accident. A half a billion dollars in revenue. Come on, man. Like Anybody who's played sports, the one thing you always hear them say, like, man, it's business at a certain age. But they, they never really tell you what they've learned about the business. Horrible, terrible things about the business is what I've heard. Because <laughs> like every business. I always think about the little logo. The little Fox animation is like a little robot with a helmet, yeah. right? Like, yeah. like this is the this is the fantasy version, right? It's like, this, these fuckers don't have feelings. They just go out there and crush, right? Like this is the, this is the, this is the military recruiting. This is the like, this is the, if they're working for you, the fans, they are not complainers. Right. Like they're just, you know, they're not delicate little ligaments and stuff. They're not like vertebrae that need to be stacked a certain way. Right. They're they're just like little robots that will just go crush for you. And if they get damaged, we'll just cart them off. Right? Put a new robot in. Maybe you'll see them. Maybe you won't. You know, just put them on the little cart. Yeah, get another one. Yeah, I think that's starting to kill certain NFL positions that were like legacy positions because guys have maximized. Like the running back is just a robot now. There's like effectively... The fastest running back is going to be is like 4'4", four, four, and the slowest is going to be is like 4'5", and there's 10,000 people alive right now who can do that. <laughs> so just put the next robot in. When the dude from, uh, uh, I think he got drafted in like the seventh round, but he was at the time he was just a cornerback from UConn, did a, a standing broad jump at the, at, the, at the combine that would have placed second at the Olympics or something. I, I was like, this is all so dumb. That person is maximized to become the, the 200th best cornerback in America. But he's already the second best standing broad jumper in the world? <laughs> yeah, That's what the NFL wants. That's unbelievable. Give us everything to this and nothing to yourself. Yeah. And it's just like not a good system to care for those bodies, right? Like, I mean, obviously, but like, like, I do think that sports, I mean, I'm writing this book right now, I'm almost done. It's like basically about preventing sports injuries. Mm -hmm. I could... Don't get me started. I'll talk all day. <laughs> you will um, talk all day. <laughs> but um, but like we have been spoiled with just like an infinite supply of like the finest athletic bodies in the world just present themselves to these major American sports, right? And it's like, so guess what? If you don't have to be good at managing them, because there's another one and another one. And so like everyone thinks like, like who is the story? Um, oh, Kyle Corver. Like when Kyle Corver was at Creighton, he had a lot of knee pain. And, um, and he basically, but he was borderline to get drafted. And so he's like, I'm just gonna, and they gave him all the regular, like ibuprofen and ice and the little PT exercises or whatever. And it didn't help at all. And, um, and he was like, I'm just gonna bust, you know, just bust a move for my next year of college. And then I'll make it to the NBA and then they'll treat my body. Right. Like huh. They'll, they'll be the experts. Right. And like, and then he gets to the Sixers and he's like the 11th man and, Everyone, like it's all like Derek Coleman and like all these old dudes. They need the training staff's attention for real. Kyle like got a little bit of attention and got the same shit they recommended at Creighton. You know what I mean? And he's like, there was never, and it ended up going to the place my book's about and everything's better. Like, but, but, um, I feel like there's like this kind of like this notion that they're going to be really good at like taking care of your ligaments, right? Not a concern. They don't need to be your ligaments unless you're Shaq or something, right? Like we don't need those legs. We just need legs. Yeah, when much. you read the 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 injury story, I forget what I titled it. Jordan Eleven, actually, it's titled in my book. Did you, or if you got to it, I don't know. Did that resonate with you? It was like it was all about I, being injured. Refresh me, refresh me a little bit. My memory is so crap. I just told uh, the story of like a bunch of different happened? injuries. Like you know, I took a shot at halftime in college when my knee. Uh, I took a hit. I took a shot, and I didn't play in the second half. Then the next day. I forgot I took the shot when I woke up and I like fell out of bed. Like I couldn't walk. 
And I was like, dang, like, wow. okay. was the shot preventing me from feeling this? And then like years later, I mean, the story kind of ends with me saying that, you know, everybody's right and everybody's wrong. And, you know, my last one, uh, what, 2017, 2018, I was in Korea. I had this foot injury and no one could figure it out. And I, you know, the team trainers, all the trainers, the local hospital, then they started shipping me off to like, cause this is during the playoffs. Like they can't, they don't I got time to get a replacement. Taking the train and like cars up and down the Korean peninsula, like seeing like the finest foot doctors on earth, MRIs, all this, like they can all see what's wrong. They just don't know what's causing it. Hmm. And the team's ready to cut me all this stuff. And then my teammate one day is like in Korean, like, have you tried switching your shoes? I think the Jordan 11 is not working for you. Immediately fine. Immediately fine. And it's like, there is no right or wrong. It's like, do you, do you want to be a bitch or not? Like, <laughs> that's it. Like, I'm a, today I'm a bitch. I need to sit out. I don't understand what's happening until I do. Do you want to be? Oh, yeah, there's, oh my God, there's so much dumb so stuff. Much. Uh, Grant Hills talked about, I don't know if you've heard these Grant Hill talking about his like early days in Detroit, but like, um, you know, he had ankle issues and um, happened to play for the Pistons where like the greatest bit of sports heroism in the history of the franchise was Isaiah Thomas played on like a yes. the finals. He played on like leg. on a totally messed up ankle. Right. And so like they kind of had baked in, in the training staff and the coaching staff and the fans and like, basically like, God damn it. You got through ankle issues, right? You just don't, you'll sit out with ankle issues. Even though I would point out, I went and looked it up. I had to rem remind myself, but like Isaiah Thomas, like lost the finals by doing that. Correct. Like, <laughs> like they were ahead in game six. And then he played, it was his fucked up body, both the, all the remaining minutes and they lost. <laughs> it was like, it was especially stupid. Um, but uh, so Grant, I mean, long story short, Grant says like he was handled in barbaric ways and like ended up actually on opioids in the playoffs with what later proved to be a broken ankle. He was playing like, cause they were just telling them to be tough. And it's like, like if you know, there's a job, which is making, figuring out what's wrong with Grant's ankle, right? People have that job. It's like that person was not fired. Right. It's like, how can you send this dude out there with a broken fucking ankle? And like, and he gets people shit on him. Right. Right. Cause and he's he, not, and then he gave him here for agent left. But like, but this person, no one even questions. Like, yeah, I used to. You know, know, one like thing I used to hear that you never hear, you never hear anymore. Part because of medical technology, but part because people don't do stuff like that anymore. Like that crazy '80s style training is. You'd see someone and be like, "Oh, I tore up my knee. <laughs> Had to stop. Like, you know, I'll play four tore years. Tore up my knee. knee. <laughs> you know, I tore up my knee. It's like there is the yeah. You probably hurt your knee, and then there's the all the military inspired men around you all came back from Vietnam and World War II as the only coaches telling you tore up knee. <laughs> Charlie don't know nothing but no tore up knee. Get back out there. Yeah. 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 It's wild. I mean, I, you know, look, and I, and the times are changing as you suggest, right? Like if there's nothing you can do, if you're in the jungle in Vietnam and something happened to your knee, right? Like, well, what we're going to do is we're going to, try to get you out of here. Right. And then we're going to put you on a plane home and then you're going to limp around. Like there's nothing to do. Right. But now there's a lot to do. Right. Like we have a lot of things we can do. We could even figure out what's wrong with your knee. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. yeah. like, but now it's like a little bit, I think maybe the sports fans have the idea that like this, the player soft because they're like, you know, dealing with this inflamed knee and they want to rest. But it's like, yeah, it's not the same as the nom approach. Well, but let me let me go the other way on that too. <laughs> I, I think it's worth noting that, like, I think younger players are a little softer, but not like soft how guys say yeah. it. Like, it, you they're confusing. They're trying to they're trying to fuck it up for all of us. Like, I'm yeah. trying to like like get you to a good doctor, and they're like, ah, it hurts. I'm like, oh Jesus, shut up for a second. <laughs> so I brought up Japanese right, baseball earlier. If you do you follow that at all, it's a random, but they're no, they're right. the best in the world at baseball right now. They they have not right. lost yeah. the World Baseball Classic in 12 years. They keep a lot of their domestic players who make more money than they would make here until like Otani, basically. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but in, dang, what were we just talking about? I got lost in the Otani thing. It's injuries, a, injuries. Oh yeah, yeah. Young players are so, soft. So the the in in the Japanese, why they're so good is because their their kids go dumb hard. And I saw this in Korea too. Korea goes equally as hard. I'm just using the Japanese example. High school kids will pitch. 300 pitches in a session, like four days a week. So if you're a high school player in California, you can only pitch by law, like 110 pitches a week. 
In Japan, there is no limit. And further, they have this really big tournament where like, like where legends are made. Like all the Japanese stars we know all like became legends in this tournament. And they'll play through crazy injuries. And some of the, like we focus on the pitchers more because they're the ones who get the shoulder injuries, but they'll pitch 700 pitches in like four days starting each game. Something we would never think of. Now, when you look at the data of injuries from the pro level in Japan, the college level and the high school level, it's all less than ours. Now, when they do get messed up, the way they get messed up is because they pitch through. If you pitch 700 pitches and now your arm is done, they need someone to be like, stop, but that's not really the Japanese way. But even still, they have less injuries than us. There is a point where your body is going to hurt and you have to keep going. And that's why I said it really just matters if you want to be a bitch or not, because we only understand pain insofar as by comparison to other pain we've had. And you don't know what your body's doing. You just feel things and it's scary. (laughs) So there is something to developing early enough to handle that and to know yourself better than to like play it safe your whole life. And then now you're just injured all the time because you don't even understand if you're injured or not. Well, this is, Henry, this is going to be in your book, I'm sure, right? Because Marcus, big thing, uh, Marcus Elliott, who everyone in this podcast listens to. Did you ever go to P3, Rod? Do you know what P3 is in Santa Uh, Barbara? I've heard of it. I was recommended to go there when I had knee pain by the Utah coach back in 2008. Do you know Mark McCown? That might be who that was. I don't know. It's been a long time. He was the Utah trainer who was super, he's a crazy big, huge, tall white guy. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. It's, <laughs> it's like, like, oh, you got to understand. I'm like, I'm on a D-league yeah. contract, sir. You're going to set our Barbara? But Henry, <laughs> you your know, book, right? Marcus, because Marcus, the thing is not, it's not just, oh, guys are tired, give them rest, right? It's not, that's not, yes, they need rest, but there's more to it than just rest. See, I'm trying not to make this whole thing about my book. I know, Rock, go for it, though. Okay, but really, okay, I think the big, the big shift here is like, uh, um, if you're injured now, any of us, they're going to make you lie still in a machine and they're going to do a scan. But the injury was caused by how you move. So like, and the fix, it might be how you move too, right? Like, so we all move very differently. You know, different, there's physics to all this stuff, right? And like, so this place is trying to get into the physics of like, okay, well, Rod, the exact way you land is putting this 40% added stress on your left ACL. And so we're going to fix that with this movement you're going to do over here, right? And um, and on and on through your bodies, right? So like the same thing happened with our hearts where, you know, we used to be like, oh, my God, he was struck down for thinking evil thoughts and, and he's now he's dead. But then they were had the echocardiogram and they could be like, oh, this is how the blood moves through your heart and your arteries constrict over time. And like it's about the movement of the thing. Right. Like and you can affect that movement 10 years before you have the heart attack. Right. So same thing with your ACL tear, same with your Achilles tear, with your quad strain, whatever, hamstring strain, lower back pain. Like they telegraphed themselves a little bit before because I. Would, I would argue we've just been looking at the wrong data the whole time, right? We're just injuries seem like they're coming from outer space because we are looking at the wrong stuff, right? <laughs> we're so confused about what causes injuries. And so I think it's all going to be very different in the future. But for now, we're like, I tore my knee up. I think that there's like, you know, having, having been around guys who are continually injured versus guys who aren't. To me, yeah. it's really like some of that stuff is is a little... Someone has to sell it. So, hey, we're all selling tech. If we can explain the tech, great. But I didn't have to go to Santa Barbara. I just had to do some, like, leg extensions when I got to Korea. Like, almost like what uh, you said, like Kyle Korver said, when I get here, I'm going to get better care. Because Korea has a whole yeah. different, like, idea of healthcare, of how to take care of your body. Yeah. I actually, like, upgraded very quickly out there that I wasn't doing here. Because America had started going to, like, uh, resistance awesome. band training. And I'm not saying that's bad. It was just, a, it was a fad. That I think we can yeah. look back on and say, like, some of the Olympic stuff was important because we lost that. Um, yeah. What what example did you just give? Because it was uh, you had a good one. John, uh, movement. Uh, the story you just told, John. I'm sorry. Who that I told? No, no. The oh, Henry tale. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Oh, I t- <laughs> um, uh, was it, wait about a particular player. This is like just a second ago. The last podcast thing listeners, said. you were listening to aging men. The P three story. Oh yeah, yeah, the P three. So, so yeah, but, all I can say because I was yeah. there and I, you know, I met the dude who was telling me to do P three and all that. And then I went to Korea. Yeah, and it became very clear to me very quickly that the only way guys get injured a lot is by playing so recklessly 
that they force the injuries upon themselves. We're all, we're all seeing an uptick, uptick in injuries in the NBA because of freedom of movement. Like before 2018, there were so many less wrist injuries. But now you got guys, John Morant trying to take off from 30 feet to dunk over zone. He's been standing there for like nine whole seconds, like just waiting <laughs> and falling on himself. I used to watch Derrick Rose and I'd be like, bro, how is that possible? Because he oh, would do jump stops from the like the, the elbow and land like on the block with two feet. I'm like, the force it takes just to stop that is, is yes. impossible. Anthony Davis falls down every three seconds and every Laker. It's always when we go on like a sixth grade game winning streak. Anthony Davis was fall down. Everyone's like, <clears throat> and he's okay. oh, my God, he's OK. We're like, you don't just fall down like that unless you're like trying to get calls. You've learned this angle like. Guys could also just change how they play. They don't want to. They don't have to anymore. Just pay me a half a billion dollars because I did one move no one else can do. And then change the rule. I don't care. Whatever. I'm James Harden. Like, nobody cares anymore. <laughs> the, like the, to me, like the movement role models are um, wild animals. Like it really kind of came clear, like, you know, like an owl, like it has to go catch something or die. Right. And they and then and they don't owls don't make nests. They just steal them often from bigger birds. And they're just like, come get me, you know, like, but they have to move and and they're not limping around. You know what I mean? Like um, they just go. They just kick every ass they have to kick. Right. Like they just go like when every little fight, no complaints. And they're just like. Live thirty years and they're all like trim and lean and just. What kind of owls you've been like, following, my guy? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you got the owl calendar. Check owl it out, man. Like, owl, owls are pretty serious, okay. man. They are. Like I, I got they got it all wrong. I thought too much about owls, Rob. But like, but, but like, um, they put them on like the the nature documentary with like classical music. Like they're like like that's not what they're like at all. There's a great one where like um they if they can't steal somebody's nest they just lay the babies around the ground. And they're just like, and there's literally like nature documentary of like the wolves in Alaska. Are like, oh, there's like, you know, 10 inch tall owl babies on the ground over there. Let's go eat those owl babies. And the parents are like, oh, look at these dumbasses. And like, and they like, the by the end of the video, the wolves are like, Jesus, stop! And like running away because the owl parents are just like, we got so many ways to hurt you. Anyway, so that's an athlete, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm like, you want to kind of move like that, right? And like, these are, is there any part of that owl that's like, Ooh, it's chilly today. You know, like, like, oh, like, oh, or I think I might have scratched my leg. Like, to your point, like, yeah, you got to be this crazy tough, right? Crazy tough. Well, I'm picturing as like, you say that, like, tougher than anybody. Just, just you know, FIBA basketball versus NBA basketball. That's why you're starting to see all the best players come out of Europe because they, they're, they're like the owls. When I was out there, yeah. bro, like, see, now you're wild. using it. It was actually wild. How big these dudes were I remember being like I'm sorry if like I'm good at this there this is so much harder this is crazy harder I was in the EuroLeague in uh, Olympiakos no Panathinaikos was in our, our in our pool and they had a I forget his first name his last name is Pekovic I want to say he was on the Wolves for a little bit mm -hmm. um, yeah yeah he's mm -hmm. huge dude uh, yeah yeah he I don't know I didn't know this guy you didn't hear of him this is 2009 we're just in France. Yeah. Bro, it took every ounce of like my life force to stop this dude from moving like six inches. <laughs> and he finished with like eight and eight, which in a Euroleague game is like 30 and 30. I was embarrassed <laughs> yeah. that I couldn't do shit yeah. with that guy in an eight and eight game. And that's like, that's what's missing. It's like the, the owls, they are developing. Every country I go to has their own like, they're, like the best player in Puerto Rico doesn't play like Steph Curry. He has like some weird like underhand scoop thing that doesn't make sense. And it's <laughs> off pace. It's like a changeup. But could easily, if everyone just learned that style, could be what we call basketball. Yeah, right. The yeah. NBA has like has like flattened into like it's this or this. But you go to like Greece, you go to Taiwan, you go to uh Dominican, there's some dude doing something here like, whoa, if everybody did that, that'd be crazy. Go to some country like, yeah. well, if everyone was that yeah. big, it'd be crazy. Wait, are the French really yeah. this athletic? They mimic us. That'd be crazy if they had the same infrastructure. Yeah. We're falling behind because oh, yeah. we're the wolves who think, oh, Al's on the ground. There's a billion dollars. Like, <laughs> no, I'm about to get ate up. <laughs> oh, and we've come full circle. Al's no on the ground. <laughs> there go yeah. the wolves. Callback King. Uh, yeah. Rod, this has been a pleasure. <laughs> um, tell people where they can find you, first of all, if they want to like, 
follow you on socials if you're there. Your clothing kind of line. Yeah, well, first of all, line. Line. Yeah, the yeah. book is called Different Dude. You can get it at mm-hmm. differentdude.com or just like anywhere you buy books. I wouldn't recommend Amazon. They're kind of punks. Um, the, <laughs> uh, the audio book is also everywhere, but you can listen to it for free on Spotify. I don't understand oh. their business model. I don't have to. I still get paid. The, <laughs> love it. We love it. Uh, and then on social, it's my middle name, Z-S-O-R-R-Y-O-N. I know that's hard, but at Jerion. Do one more time. Z-S-O-R-R-Y-O-N. Mm-hmm. Everywhere. Okay. On, 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 on all the spaces. Uh, threads. If you talk to me, I'll talk to you back. Holler at me. Look at that, man. All right, guys. This was a pleasure. And we will see you later in the week. Take care.